0: Let's talk about the well-being budgets that have been coming out. Uh, Jacinda Ardern had her well-being budget. Now this government is talked about well-being. Uh, plenty of Australian state governments talk this way too. What do you think that's behind it? Well, it goes back to 1968 at least, where Bobby Kennedy is very famous. Uh, very famously said, "We measure everything, except the uh, you know the our kindness." Uh, there, we we measure. Uh, GDP captures the cost of all our weapons and all the pollution we produce, but it doesn't capture uh, the way we care for each other and all that sort of stuff. So it's a year. It's quite a deep yearning that we have. We all get the idea that man does not live by bread alone, and uh, so this is a an attempt to do something about that. So. Whether, you know, how successful it is or not is another question, but that's kind of where it's coming from, I think. So what did you make of the New Zealand well budget? I don't think it was a well-being budget. It was a well-being themed budget. So if you're organizing a ball, you say to yourself, what's the theme? Uh, you might might be pirates and everyone comes with a eye patch and a parrot on their shoulder. The if it was a well-being budget, it would be a budget in which there was some real detectable methodology for identifying what should be done and what shouldn't be done now what happened was Jacinda Ardern came along and she was very keen on this stuff and in fact the New Zealand treasury had been working quite seriously on metrics for well-being but they didn't connect up they didn't there was no real connection between the metrics and the priorities in the budget, and instead that was handled by way of themes, which you'd be familiar with from PR. So the government announced that it was a well-being budget, and then they came up with five themes that they thought were kind of associated well with well-being. Some of them sound like they are. They didn't demonstrate that they were the highest priorities for well-being, but they were improving child well-being, a particularly welcome thing on... Uh, Child poverty. Whether uh, how uh, whether that's particularly the most effective thing we can do on well-being, it was left unsaid. Supporting mental health—that sounds good. Then backing indigenous people. Well, it sounds good. Is that a well-being priority? Perhaps uh, creating opportunities is the next one, and then boosting innovation. Now, boosting innovation. Would have been in the budget anyway. So I think it's a kind of re, it becomes a kind of reskinning operation rather than taking the opportunity to think differently and to build different systems to say we are now going to prioritize well being ahead of other things like GDP, for instance. So, how are we going about it? So, what we're doing in Australia. Is pretty much up for grabs. We know that the uh, treasurer Jim Chalmers has has made a couple of statements. He described the first budget, not the one he's just released, but the first budget as the first of a uh, uh, as a well being budget of some kind. And he announced that there would that more attention would be given to measurement. He's subsequently released a statement about that measurement, and we're going to hear more of that. There's more consultation going on at the moment. That can't do any harm, but uh, it's one of the things that governments do a lot when they're not quite sure what to do, is they try and get more information. It's like saying that if we've got a problem if people are getting ripped off or something like that, we'll we'll pursue a transparency agenda where everyone knows exactly what they're doing. So this is a, a kind of a well-being transparency agenda. It's still pretty silent on how we're going to improve well-being. So what's missing and how can we do a better job? So I think the most important thing, and, and I've been quite disappointed with some discussion, for instance, the Uh, Centre for Policy Development put out a discussion paper and it had lots of it said lots of nice things about well-being and all the important things to measure but they didn't mention that the most important thing is to build a system of measurement that helps you improve well-being knowing the level of well-being in some detail is a nice thing to know but it's not nearly as important as learning how to improve well-being. Right now in New Zealand, the New, Z- the, the New Zealand system is becoming, they're building a quite sophisticated system, which in principle would be able to tell you the level of self-reported well-being, say of Maori, say of Indigenous people in New Zealand, in Rotorua or Christchurch, but all of that work doesn't give them any new insights into how to improve well-being. So that's critical. And the other thing we could do with well-being is we could just ask ourselves the sort of simple, practical questions. I could call them economic questions, but they're, they're just practical questions, which we did at the beginning of the greenhouse agenda. And what did we talk about when we, when we started talking about lowering our emissions? We talked about cost curves. We talked about no regrets measures. That is the lowest hanging fruit. What could we do to reduce emissions that actually won't cost us any money? There are plenty of things we could do in well-being like that. I've given some examples. I think one of the best examples is that there are the, if you look at the, popu- the, the subpopulations in Australia with very depressed well-being, the subpopulation, which is large and I think could have their well-being improved substantially at, at minimal cost, is carers who are getting on and their spouse is now disabled and they become socially isolated. And we could deal with that with, with local programs to connect them to community and so on. That's just one example. But there are there are plenty of others. And that's what a real well, that's what would happen. I like it's basic common sense. That's what would happen if a well-being agenda wasn't just some nice things for people to say, but a a project, a project to make things better for people who are are suffering right now and who we can do at at quite minimal cost. That would require the assistance of state councils, the state governments and and local councils as well. Well, indeed, it would, like most of the, you would expect that for the sort of issue that we're talking about. But I've been talking to state governments. There are a number of state governments who are producing well-being frameworks and this compulsion, (laughs) this compulsion of organisations to produce frameworks before they do anything is a terrible curse and and in fact I was in a meeting with the state treasury and they said well we need a wellbeing framework and I said I've just given you a wellbeing framework it's called a cost curve go looking for areas where at minimal cost you can improve wellbeing the most that's a framework but instead they want you know 100 indicators and and uh, dashboards and all this kind of stuff and that won't actually improve our well-being. I hate to break it to you, but uh, that's pretty obvious. Well, there's a whole lot of uh, well-being issues, like you've got carers' loneliness, you've got the better approaches to out-of-home care. Well, uh, so the the very worst cases of which there are thousands in Australia, hundreds in most in in populous states are kids who have been taken off their parents for abuse and neglect the systems of foster care they go into are terrible and the very worst of those say the bottom 10 the worst 10 percent have been moved from one foster carer to another many of them now live in hotels in round-the-clock supervision this costs us five hundred thousand dollars or more per child and it's a kind of velvet gulag um and it guess what it's not good for anyone's well-being in this system and we could save ourselves plenty of money and improve well-being if we were serious about this agenda of uh, embracing well-being as well as GDP as one of the things we want to manage for in our government systems and government policy. So instead of building a framework, you first identify which areas need attending. Well, that would be my framework. My framework would be an action, a framework that was a scaffolding for action. And if you're going to take action, then obviously you want to gear up to take the most cost effective action as the as the highest priority. So that's what my framework would produce and it would produce it quickly. And then the actual framework would mature along with the policies and the programs because it would be the policies and the programs that would generate the information that would make the framework make more sense than just be a nice thing to put up on the wall or in a PowerPoint presentation. Well, Nicholas, that's all quite illuminating and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon.